to continue this series, The World's God Mad, is our lead pastor, Roland Gray. Good morning, everybody. How are you doing? Thank you for the underwhelming response. How are you doing? <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be here. <laughs> everybody say, thank you, Pastor Matt. Always serving somebody, Pastor Matt. We love you. Um, yeah, you know, I want to just remind us that we have some invitation cards in the lobby, okay? And so uh, I've had a personal goal to hand out one every day. That's not a whole lot, um, but I, uh, that's my personal challenge. Um, I would challenge you to come up with your own challenge. Remember, we had that uh, series on evangelism, and we talked about scattering seed. And if you were to study that word in the Bible, to actually scatter seed literally means to reach into a bag and to throw. Uh, what that means is, or what encourages me when you scatter seed, is that it takes no skill. You can literally grab a handful and toss it out. And the Bible talks about scattering seed. That's the word of God going forth and going out. And we know that that's not a very specific way to reach people, but God honors our output, if that makes sense. And so the, the other encouraging thing for me is that you're not responsible where the seed lands. And you're not responsible for the kind of soil that it lands in. Okay? God says, you just scatter seed. I will bring the kingdom in. How many want to see the kingdom come in? Amen? And so that's what I want to encourage you to do. So we have these invitation cards. Also on the back of those cards is a QR code. If you scan that QR code, you're going to see my mug shot on a video. Okay? And I have a real kind of soothing voice. They were teasing me this morning. Um, and so... Uh, but in addition to myself, there's also a, a website that is attached to it that has a lot of questions, video questions, um, or video answers to life's hard questions, if that makes sense. So if uh, somebody gets a card and let's say they don't show up at church, maybe they'll scan that code. Maybe they'll go to this website and maybe they'll just have a question. You know, why, why is there so much evil in the world if God exists, if God loves us? Why, you know, how could he, you know, apart from anybody for eternity? Those kind of questions, they're on there. I would encourage you to even check out uh, the website we're partnering with uh, just to see how it goes. Um, but we have these cards, and those cards are available to you. And I'm believing that God is going to allow us to start reaching our family and to start reaching our coworkers and to start reaching our friends and to start reaching our neighbors and even strangers. Um, so we had breakfast uh, yesterday. And um, the server uh, came up to us, and um, I got to talking to her, and I said, hey, you know what? I mean, what did I say? I said, you know what? You gave me something. Can I give you something? Gave her a card, and she said, you know what? I've been looking for a church. I said, you know what? We're available if you would, you know, come visit us. And she said, you know what? I'm going to make a point to come visit. Um, she's a server, so I'm sure she's working today. Hopefully, she can work out her schedule next week. But she felt like it was a, you know, answered prayer. So praying that she comes out. Um, but anyway, how many know that God has plans for people, uh, and he's going to use us to accomplish those, those, the plans and purposes of what he has? So just wanted to encourage you with that before we get into our message. I've entitled my message today, The Burden That Brings Rest. It's almost like an oxymoron. It doesn't make sense. The Burden That Brings Rest. Um, some of you have heard my story in a previous life. Uh, I was a sports anchor on TV. It was fun. I never wanted to give that job up. It's, uh, it's a guy's dream to get paid to watch sports and then to write and to cover those sports. Uh, I loved it. Uh, and then through my sister, I met a doctor who owns uh, a, a whole network of sleep clinics in Guam uh, and in Hawaii. And so uh, she would always joke with me because she saw me on TV. And then whenever we'd see each other, she would say, you know what? You need to come work for us. And I would laugh. And then I'd see her again. She'd say, you know what? You need to come represent us. And so it happened so much that I finally said, you know, because I wasn't looking for another job. But I said, you know what? Make me an offer. Make me an offer. And she did. And she put this package together. And when I cracked that package open... And I saw what it paid 
I said, bye-bye to the sports anchor. It was, it was easy, you know. I mean, I thought that I'd be this job for forever, um, but how many know uh, money talks sometimes? <laughs> and so I thought, man, this would be a great blessing to my family. Took that job. So I began working as a marketing manager for a sleep center. As I worked at the sleep center, I began to realize how important rest was. Rest specifically in the area of sleep. How many of you, you treasure your sleep? <laughs> I treasure my sleep. There's so much going on in our lives. Any minute, any second I get, sometimes it, I'm, I'm you know, so tired, I will pull my car over in a safe place and get about 10 minutes. I don't know if anybody's ever done that before, but I have. And so I, I treasure my sleep. Um, but, you know, I've learned that without rest, without restful sleep, our minds and our bodies are unable to function the way they are designed to. And so rest is not just important. Rest is essential. You can't go without it. And so... When you get good quality rest, some very important functions take place. Physical recovery happens. Memories are consolidated and solidified. If you're forgetful like me, get more sleep. Another interesting thing that happens, the brain actually detoxifies when you get restful sleep. Your emotions and your learning process are positively enhanced. Also, your metabolism and blood sugar levels balance out. Oh, man, that's my problem. That was a joke. That was a good time to laugh. Thank you. And then finally, your immune system becomes energized. Lack of restful sleep has been negatively associated with a greater risk for an array of health problems, including heart attack, including obesity, and stroke, and diabetes, and depression, and immune system damage. How many know rest is important? And rest is essential. Now, we're only talking about the physical side of things. So when we don't get enough rest, we become unhealthy, and our bodies go into chaos. Attempting to simply survive. The same goes for the rest that we're supposed to find in Jesus. Without it, we begin to lean away from Jesus, and we begin to lean on ourselves. And how many know that leads to exhaustion? Because we weren't created to do that or to be that way. So we drive our bodies and our minds into a place that is unhealthy, where we're always tired. And I don't know if you've ever experienced a spiritual weariness, but that's a thing. So on top of all the chaotic things going on in the world that we see around us, we're also very busy. Anybody here got a lot of spare time on your hands? Okay, I didn't think so. So we're all busy, right? We can agree. And so our need for schedules and productivity are a lot more apparent these days. We find more ways to be busy. And instead of leaning towards Jesus, we lean away from him. And again, we end up leaning on ourselves. That doesn't always go well. Resting in Jesus is more than a physical pause from activity. It's something we're called to tap into regularly. Because when we do, Jesus pours into us and he works in us and he works through us. And when we don't, we become weary and exhausted and unspiritually, uh, and spiritually unhealthy. How many know what I'm talking about? This is what we're going to talk about today. A very popular scripture, you could probably quote most of this, is in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. This is going to be the gist of our text. And then I feel like today is going to be a little bit more teach than preach, um, but I'll try to mix it up a little bit. Um, but I want to pick this verse, this passage of scripture apart, these three verses. Follow along with me on the screen if you don't have something to read from. Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy 
and my burden is light. Sounds like Jesus knows a few secrets here. And we're going to try to get into this. So bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you this morning again just for the opportunity to get into your word. Lord, your word, this is you. You said in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And so, Father, we want a fellowship with you in the word today. Holy Spirit, as always, we always ask for your help to come and to uh, open up our minds and to open up our hearts. And Father, we say they are receptive today to hear your word. Lord, help us to be doers, not just hearers. Father, we didn't come here for entertainment. Father, we want to learn and do. So help us to do that today as we learn your word in Jesus' name. Amen? All right. How many know that nobody is unique and nobody is exempt from restlessness? We all experience restlessness. We live in a world that promotes hustle and bustle, right? Get your game on, right? Fill your schedule. Any, any spot that's open, we're talking to people, well, you know what? I got this day open, and what do we do? We fill it with an appointment, with a meeting, with an event. There's always another project to tackle, another item on our to-do lists, Another goal to accomplish. How many know that we are not created to stay at that pace? If we do, it'll create problems. Some of my favorite vehicles are world-class machines. I wish that I owned one. But even them, the way they're built to be tough, to endure, they're not designed to live forever. And so we need to be careful with the way that we run ourselves causes problems in our life but imagine what this does to us on the inside in this passage Jesus recognizes something he sees people who are weary he sees people who are burdened depending on the uh, translation that you read it says heavy burdened I don't know if you've ever been heavy burdened I have but let's address, uh, let's address one thing from the beginning what Jesus was seeing was more than Stuff on the surface, more than stuff on the outside, more than the external. When we walk out these doors and we face the world, the, the things that we see and we feel, all of that has a way of causing us to go very internal. And so the chaos outside sometimes doesn't match the chaos on the inside. How many know what I'm talking about? So the rest Jesus was offering was more than just rest of the body. As we read in the scripture, what he saw was that people need rest in their soul. Say soul. If you're like me, when I was a kid, I always thought soul meant the spirit, right? You ever seen those scary movies and like a demon comes to the door, he says, I'm here for your soul, right? And you think it's a, a spiritual thing, but the soul and the spirit are very different. The spirit is, yeah, that's eternal. That's, that's what goes when when we leave this body. But the soul, when the Bible talks about the soul, it's talking about everything in your mind, your emotions, what you process, what you contain. That's what it's talking about with the soul. So Jesus is saying that we need rest for the soul. Sometimes we think that uh, it's, our, it's our soul that goes, but it's, it's not. So I want you to understand that. Um, in Hebrews 4, Hebrews 4, somewhere in Hebrews 4, <laughs> it talks about how the word is living and active. So living and active that it can divide soul and spirit. They're two different things. It can divide bone and marrow. That's how powerful the word is. And so we are going to separate that today. We're going to talk about the soul. Your soul is your physically present mind. So your mind is where most of our battles are waged. How many find that experience to be very true? Sometimes something's going on and you're not even near the situation, but you're sitting at home just stewing in it. The battle starts in the mind. 2 Corinthians tells us to take every thought captive and to make it obedient to Christ because of, the, because of these battles. How many know the devil's a good liar? And sometimes the whisper is the loudest voice that you hear. Sometimes when you're all alone and you start to question your value, 
and you start to question, you know, who likes you. You start to question who doubts you. You start to remember things from way, way back that don't even matter anymore, but somehow that damage leaves an imprint in our minds. And one of the biggest battles we experience is contentment. Philosophers say it all the time. They write about stuff like this. They say that our discontentment is deeper than we would like to admit. So even more than burdens outside these doors are the burdens that we bring on ourselves that we sometimes harbor, sometimes that we don't want to let go. It's almost like our pet. We grab it and we pull it close to us. One thing I've noticed about myself, maybe, maybe you've noticed about yourself as well, and that's that even when I feel content about something, all I have to do is to wait a little while before I start to become discontent. How many have ever saved up your money for something that, that you really, really wanted, and then you bought it, you attained it, Maybe it was a car, maybe it was a sound system, maybe it was a computer, maybe it was a TV, maybe it was something that you really liked, and you got it, and you loved it. How many of, how many of, right? And then how many of you about a month later were like, I heard they make a bigger TV, right? Or you call the salesman back, you, you didn't tell me the new model was coming out the next month, I would have just saved my money and got that one. It, we experience discontentment very easily. Very easily. There's a poet by the name of Horace, and he said, no one lives content. No one lives content. That means as the years go by, we are either still wanting more, or we're still trying to find answers to something. There's a writer by the name of Wallace Stevens. He said, even in contentment, I still feel the need of some imperishable bliss, something imperishable. I need something that's not going to leave, that's not going to go away. What he meant was he was afraid of losing what he had. Something that I've realized as I, as I get older, I'm coming to the realization that nothing's going to stay. At some point, everything is going to go. Everything is going to change. And so it's that feeling of losing something that ruins the enjoyment of having it. And that's what this writer is talking about. There's something called uh, the life lie or the lie of life. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this. Once I tell you, you'll know exactly what it is. But the lie of life is basically being happy in anticipation of something. Being happy in anticipation of something. In other words, you have hope in finding happiness in something that is going to happen or arrive. And then when you get it, you realize after a while that it didn't make you happy. The TV's still cool, but it just it didn't make you happy the way you thought it would. And so it didn't fulfill you the way you thought. And so the cycle continues. That's the lie of life. If I can just find the right man, if I can just find the right woman, oh, if I could just find the right career, if I can, and it goes on and on and on, it's the lie of life. The reason why is because nothing will fill you or make you content the way Jesus can. And that's what he's talking about in this verse. There's a certain something that he reserves. And if we can figure out that secret and we tap into it, guess what? Those burdens that we're talking about now, this discontentment, this wrestling that, we go on, uh, that goes on in our, in our heads and in our hearts, that begins to, to lift. So when Jesus says, I know what you're looking for, I know what you need, he also says, I'm the only one who can provide that. There's also something else Jesus said. He said, come to me all who are weary and burdened. Later on in this book, in Matthew chapter 23, um, 
Jesus said to, there was a crowd and his disciples were there as well. Here's what he said. He says, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. This is his advice. Do and observe whatever they tell you. These Pharisees, these scholars. Uh, but not the works that they do. Observe what they say, but don't do the works that they do. And the reason why is they preach, but they do not practice. They preach, but they do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens. This is verse 4 of chapter 23 of Matthew. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them even with a finger, the Bible says. So here's what that means. Everyone is trying to live up to standards. How many of you have set certain standards for yourself? Maybe you try to be disciplined. You set up certain things. Is that you? How many of you have ever let yourself down? You set your standards and all of a sudden you're like, man, I didn't do what I was supposed to do today. Man, I had my to-do list. Man, I missed a couple. Right? How many of you have ever, uh, ever had to live according to your parents' standards? Okay, if your parents are here, kids, you guys just be uh, secure, okay? <laughs> but growing up, I had standards that I had to live up to to please my parents. And that's not bad. But how many know I would let my parents down sometimes? I've got my own kids now. And we set up certain standards for them. I know something that's very real is that me being a pastor and then having kids whose dad is a pastor. Can you imagine the pressure? And so that's what it's talking about. All these things that compound from the outside that cause us to struggle on the inside. We all experience this at some point. It's an it's, uh, it's inner uh, murmur, like an inner voice that, that speaks to us. It's a restlessness that makes you feel like you're never good enough, you know, or that you're not achieving. And so this inner burden can go on throughout life. You don't learn how to deal with it. Jesus said, I'm the only one who can handle these burdens. Jesus knows exactly what we're going through. And then he tells us how to get rid of those burdens, and he says something kind of absurd. We come to him with these burdens, we're honest, and we say, Jesus, I'm struggling, I'm having a hard time. And then he says, come to me and take my yoke. If you don't know what a yoke is, a yoke is made for working animals. The funny thing is they called the working animals beasts of burden. Back in the day, they'd say, oh, you know, that is for the beast of burden. It could be a horse, it could be a bull, it could be a cow, it could be a donkey, right? But a, uh, a yoke was meant to go around the neck. Usually it was a big old piece of wood. How many know the yoke itself is a burden? It's heavy. It's not light. Not only that, it's a, it's a working instrument. It's, if there's a yoke on you, it means get ready to do some labor. And so here we are telling Jesus, you know, I have these burdens. And he's saying, oh, I have an answer for that. Another burden. Here, take my yoke. Right? It doesn't make sense. So we got we to gotta make sense of this. He tells us how to get rid of these burdens. And he says something crazy. Take my yoke upon you. Take my yoke upon you. As if what you were carrying isn't already enough. A big wooden beam. Put that around your neck and let's live life. So what Jesus was saying is this. I'll take that burden from you. There's an exchange. He says, give me yours. I can handle that. And I'll give you mine. But here's what it means. The burden is my yoke, Jesus is saying. Now, when you put on a yoke, it usually means that that animal is no longer going to do what it wants. That animal is going to work. That animal is going to carry. It's going to pull. It's going to push. But it will not go wherever it wants to anymore. It will not do what it wants to 
anymore, as long as that yoke is on. And so Jesus is kind of hinting here at something that we call discipleship. When he says, come to me, all you who are heavy burdened, he says, take my yoke upon you. He is inviting you into a relationship with him. But not just the introduction. We like the introduction part. Oh, hi, Jesus. Yes, I would love to go to heaven. Great to meet you. Thank you. And then we back away as if that's it. Okay, I got my ticket. But he's saying, no, 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 no. I'm inviting you into a relationship where we work together. And so this yoke represents discipleship. That's a real spiritual word, discipleship. But really what it means is following Jesus. That's all it means. So when somebody says, I'm a Christian, in my mind I go, you're a Christian, but do you follow? Because a Christian is a title we, we take all the time, don't we? We hear people all the time, oh, I'm Christian. Fill out an application. Oh, religious background, Christian. Right? The burden is my yoke. And so we don't like that part. When we say, Jesus, your yoke, what does that mean? Like, uh, like, like my life is not going to be the same anymore? And Jesus is going. Here in America, we like independence. We don't want anyone dominating us. We don't like being yoked. We don't like being told what to do. But here's the thing. We're all yoked to something. We are all yoked to something. If you don't know what I'm talking about, let me ask you a question. What do you live for? What do you live for? For some people, it's their spouse. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's what you live for, your spouse, how many know your life is not the same? You don't do what you want to do anymore. You get it? This is what we're talking about. It's like everything's all sweet and nice, right, when you're dating and you're looking into each other's eyes and you're feeding each other the pie. Then you're on the phone. You're like, I love you more. No, I love you more. No, you hang up. You hang up. Right? And then as soon as you put the ring on the finger, some things are going to change around here. You need to take the trash out. You know what I'm saying? Your life is not your own. What do you live for? For some people, it's their children. How many do not have a life because you are catering to the life of your children? That is me. I don't know if my son's in here, but I got to be careful. He's probably listening at least on the speaker. Oh, he's in the back giving me the eye. This dude's social life I cannot keep up with. Zion's like, oh, yeah, Dad, um, uh, what is it? Uh, there's a party, and I'm going again? Didn't we just pick you up from one? <laughs> and then if I say no, he goes to his brother and goes, hey, can you drop me off? But I got good kids. They get good grades. They, they don't give me any trouble, and so we try to let them... You know, we, you hold up your end of the bargain, we'll hold up ours. And so they're good kids. But if you have kids who do sports, or they have extracurricular activities, or some social something club, how many know you don't have a life anymore? You become the chauffeur. You become their personal Uber driver. And so that's how you know what you're yoked to is what do you live for? For some people, it's a career. For some people, it's about making the money. Those aren't necessarily bad. But I'm trying to make a point here. So let's say that you're living for some relationship, a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend. If that's your purpose at this time, you're going to be yoked to that person. That's just the way it works. In other words, what that means is you're going to be mastered by that person. So where we have a problem going to Jesus and saying, well, I don't want you to be my master, he's going, well, you already have a few. They don't reward you the way I do. Matter of fact, those are the ones holding you down. Which one do you really want? How many know Jesus means business? But he knows what he's talking about. And he knows what he's doing. A little bit more about a yoke. When you talk about a yoke, it's usually made for 
two animals. So one animal becomes yoked to another. Now a smart farmer will take a bigger, stronger, smarter animal and he'll yoke it with a younger, weaker, dumber animal and he'll make them work together. The idea is that the less experienced animal will learn from the one that he's yoked with. So what happens, they say, if one animal is too strong and the other animal that it's yoked to, the lesser animal, is not in the same step as the bigger animal, the lesser animal will get hurt. I've read stories where the bigger animal will actually break the neck of the younger animal because the younger animal will try to do something itself, not stay in step, and it, and it doesn't work out, and the animal ends up getting hurt. And so when Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, really what he's saying is, let's do this together. But the design is this, that if you would just stay in step with him, you don't have to work very much. Because he's the one doing everything. He's the one pulling the load. He's the one carrying everything. Now we start to see the wisdom in what he's saying. So here's a thought. Just to make you feel uncomfortable a little bit more before we change. And that's this. A yoke is an instrument of dominance. We don't like being dominated, do we? We don't like having somebody above us. How many love your boss? Don't, don't, don't respond. Just saying, okay? You guys know what I'm talking about now, right? We don't want anyone dominating our life. A teacher back in the Bible days, we're starting to bring this to a close. A teacher back in the Bible days is not the same as the way we see teachers now. See, back in those days, when you wanted to learn from a teacher you became a disciple of that teacher. Disciple wasn't a very harsh word the way it is nowadays. Matter of fact, people can know who you are by, oh, who, who's, dis, who's discipling you? Who, who, who's your teacher? They can say the name of the teacher. They know what school you're a part of. They know what you represent. They know what you stand for. And so when you became a disciple of that teacher, it meant that you would live in a community with other people with that teacher. It meant that as you lived with that teacher, you served that teacher. How many are already going, uh uh? <laughs> Not me. It meant that you would serve that teacher. That teacher was in control of your life. So when Jesus says, Take my yoke, he's saying, Number one, be my disciple. He's also saying, But I want to be the master of your life. Let me drive. I'll carry, I'll pull, but let me drive. Let me be in control. I want you to center your entire life around me, is what Jesus is saying. Follow me, let me dominate your life. How many are like, ooh, that sounds cool? Not us, right? We don't like that. If we could rewrite this main text that we read earlier, we would have stopped at, Come to me, period, right? Oh, Jesus, oh, I can't wait for that spiritual experience. Come to me. Oh. But there's more after that. That's the hard part. Think of this. That's what it means to be burden-free. It means that you no longer have to prove yourself. That means that you no longer have to work. All these external things that pressure our internal minds. Am I loved? Am I accepted? Do they really like me at work? Why don't I have more friends? Why, why, why? All these questions. Well, when Jesus says, you come to me, you know, we don't ever have to question him. We know that we're accepted. We know, we know that we're loved. Jesus says, you'll never realize 
what that really means. Unless you let me be the one who will take the lead and make me Lord over your life. Finally, Jesus gives rest to all who choose him. Now, I'm not sure if you've noticed this, but for a lot of people, when it comes to choosing God, they have a hard time. This is what we were talking about just a second ago. It's not easy. And the reason why is because we have to take on his burden. But if we only knew what Jesus has known all along, and that's that we're already burdened. We're already yoked. Right? We, we can't wait to, to, to find somebody that we can talk to just to vent out a little bit because that's how heavy the yoke is. And Jesus is going, man, if you, if you would just come to me, I'll take that. We're already restless. We're already preoccupied by expectations that we put on ourselves, by expectations that, that, that we feel from others. And so we receive God's rest when we choose him. But there's another clue, and it's in verse 25. I didn't give it to the, uh, to the media team. So, um, But it's in verse 25. It's actually before our, our main verse. And I'll par- paraphrase it. Before Jesus said, come to me, there was another situation. Jesus had been going around other towns. Some people had rejected him. He re- they rejected the disciples. They rejected their message. And so Jesus is explaining why they didn't receive God's salvation, why, why some towns didn't receive um, his gift of life, the, the gospel that they were presenting. Some said, no, thank you. And so he goes into this explanation of how some people receive and, and some don't. And he gives us this clue. In verse 25, uh, it says, um, Jesus says, thank you, Lord, that you reserve these things for those who are childlike. You, re- you reveal these things to children and not to the wise, not to the understanding. You reveal them to the lowly. You know, I'm amazed at how God encourages us to become like children. He never tells children, oh, grow up, be like your mom and dad. He always tells us, Y'all need to go back. Now, husbands, they, Jesus didn't say be childish. <laughs> he said be childlike. Okay, all the wives said amen. But he explains salvation like this in other books of the Bible, other gospels. So here it is, to come to Jesus, to become a Christian... To receive his salvation, all of those are synonyms. They all mean the same thing. But why would he use the example of becoming like a child? Two characteristics of children, and I think back to my kids when they were growing up. And so, there's two characteristics, okay, when it comes to when my boys were, were small and I can remember when they were pretty helpless. How many know kids can be helpless? <laughs> we were talking with Art and Christine yesterday. You know, at some point after having kids, you're thinking, man, should we have another one? But your current kids are a little bit older. You know, my kids would be in their underwear on the, you know, on the counter getting their own cereal, their own bowl, right? And they could feed themselves. I'm like, man, that's cool. I like that. <laughs> you know, man, I don't have to feed you anymore. Just lock the door and go to bed later, okay? <laughs> right? And then, you know, so they're, they're independent. And then we're thinking, do we, do, we, do we go for another one? It's like starting that cycle all over again. And then you have a baby that's totally dependent on you. But here's the thing about kids. They know they're dependent. And they have no problem with it. How many of you have had kids or nephews or nieces or cousins, little, and they would say, up, up, up? Anybody? How many had some that went, I, I, I want, I want, I want, I want, right? They have no problem understanding that I am dependent on you. Daddy up over and over 
and over. You ever made the mistake of playing with somebody else's kid and then you throw them up in the air and you catch them and they're like, again. And then 30 minutes later you're going, can somebody else? <laughs> Yo, man, can you take your kid back? <laughs> I'm tired. Daddy, my feet hurt. Can you carry me? I don't want to sleep in my room. And how many know what I'm talking about, right? To follow Jesus, it means to swallow your pride. And to go to him and say, I really can't do this. Up. That's one characteristic of being a child. That's the first thing. Admit that you are spiritually helpless. Admit that apart from him spiritually, you don't got it. You're not in control. The second thing is this. Children are exceedingly confident that they are loved. There's one situation when, I think my son Zion, he must have been like three years old, maybe three or four years old. And I got home and they were eating mangoes. We had a mango tree in our backyard and so uh, I loved them until I got tired of them. <laughs> and so Zion was eating a mango. Uh, he was in his diaper Zachary was on a, we had it, we called it the thinking chair. I think they got that from Blue's Clues. We had our own thinking chair. Zach was there. And I came home and the kids were excited. Now, I don't know how you would describe somebody who, you ever seen like a chunky baby and you just want to squeeze them? Like squeeze them, right? What do you call that? Huh? Well, I mean, the, the, the emotion that you feel. Like you want to just squeeze them. I don't know what, the, if there's a, in Guam they have a word for that. It's called Magodai. And so Zion was Magodai. And so I came home and he got excited. And he ran straight to me. Dad! He runs up. His face hits my thigh. He was only about that big. Hits my thigh and he bites. How many know this is sensitive? <laughs> he runs right up. Grabs both my legs and bites, bites my inner thigh. Here's the problem. My wife is home. She's in the kitchen. My involuntary response, it was automatic. It hurts. So I was like, ow, pow. My wife heard that pop. My son is screaming, mom, and I'm running her going, babe. And we're telling on her, daddy. And I'm going, he, he, do you see, do you see? Yeah, we're telling on each other. How many know I did not like him at that moment? I was mad. I was like, I can kick my son through the wall right now. It hurts so bad. But guess what? Five minutes later, He's asking me for stuff. Dad, can I have? I'm like. <laughs> the reason why is because he knows he's loved. He knows he's loved. He can offend me in such a way and then ask me <laughs> for something. And God is saying we need to be the same way. Why do we have such a problem? Because we feel like we can't please God. Do you know he not only loves you, he's madly in love with you. And there's nothing you can do to change that, good or bad. That's just his nature. That's just who he is and how he does. And I tell you, I love it. I love it. Children know that they are loved. Can I get a, let's see, LJ? I get you on the keyboard as we bring this to a close. I was making a point. Some people have a hard time believing that God loves them. Not only does God love you, again, he's madly in love with you. You ever, you ever spoke to a man in love or a woman in love? You can't change their mind. They'll do anything. That's where we get the love signs. Oh, girl, I swim the deepest ocean. I'll climb the highest mountain. No, you won't. <laughs> I tried to climb Lone Mountain one day and almost died. 
Told my wife, hey, I'll be back in two hours. I came back six hours later. He's madly in love with you. See, we bring our earthly emotions sometimes into our relationship with God where we might have been rejected, where we might have been abused or manipulated or misunderstood. We can go on and on and on. And somehow we come to God thinking, oh, man, this is, I don't know how this is going to go. We do one thing wrong and we feel like, oh, man, God hates me. God wants to separate himself from me. And I'm telling you, that is not the case. It's not the case. He says, trust me. I won't abuse you. I won't take advantage of you. I won't manipulate you. And even if you tried to do the same thing to me, I would still love you. Anybody ever take advantage of God? I have. God, forgive me. I'll never do it again. And then I do it again. But guess what? He still loves me. It doesn't change his mind. The promise is that you no longer have to perform. The promise is that burden of of having to satisfy or having to work or having to prove. All that is done. Jesus says, come to me. I'll take that from you. But you have to take mine. That's the way it works. And so Jesus is inviting us into that kind of relationship today. Jeremiah 6.16 says this. Stand by the roads. Thus saith the Lord. This is a from one of the prophets. Stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, God has united you with Christ Jesus. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. This is it. This is how it happens. United you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy. And he freed us from the burden. The ultimate burden really is our sin. And he freed us even from that. Would you bow your heads with me? I don't know who here needs to hear this. But God is saying, I love you so much. I love you so much. Why would you doubt me? Why would you doubt me? And so I'm reminding us today that God is calling us into a perfect relationship with him. A relationship where we don't have to question. A relationship where we don't have to feel insecure. A relationship where we don't have to work or prove. He just says, come. And he's, he knows we're tired. And he knows we're weary. And he's saying, take my burden. Take my yoke. And I will give you rest for your souls. We always want to give an opportunity here. If you're here today and you just would honestly say, I don't think I'm right with God, but I want to get right with him today. If that's you, just real quick, would you raise your hand with nobody looking around? God bless you. Anybody else? God bless you. Anybody else? See that hand? You can put your hands down. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Lord, you're inviting. You're an inviting God. You're a welcoming God. You're an accepting God. You're an inclusive God. You want nobody to be left out. Can we all just repeat this together? Say, Jesus, thank you.
for your perfect love. Thank you that you're madly in love with me. I admit that I'm the one in the wrong. But I ask you to forgive me because I believe that you died for me and that your blood has the power to cleanse me. I invite you to come into my life and I ask you to change me. Help me to live for you from this day forward. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Can we just give a hand to those who accepted him? And then would you bow your heads one more time? Just a real quick prayer. If you're here and you have something that is just weighing on your heart and weighing on your mind, and you're like, man, I just, I just need, to, I need to offload this. Is that anybody here? I just want to pray for you. God knows what's going on. I don't. Okay. See that hand? Anybody else? See that hand? Anybody else? Yeah, we're all in the same boat, aren't we? Father, I just pray for those who are here today and they're searching for you and they're coming to you. But Lord, I pray that they would make that exchange. Lord, we allow you to take our burdens and we gladly receive your yoke. You said because your yoke is easy and your burden is light because God, you're doing the work. You're doing the pulling. So Father, free them up. Father, if it's a problem, I pray that you would help solve it. Father, if it's something else that seems impossible, I pray for strength. If it's something that's dark, I pray for encouragement. Whatever it is, Jesus, Holy Spirit, you can be that for us. And we seal that prayer together. We say in Jesus' name, we agree. Amen. Amen.